Have you ever driven down Leif Erikson Drive? How about Field Drive? I bet you have and you just don't know it because those streets were renamed likely long before you started driving or were even born. Today we're circling back for another look at the renaming of Chicago. I'm Tommy Henry and this is the Chicago History Podcast. A few episodes back, I discussed the renaming of different places, streets, buildings, and other parts of Chicago. Well, the response was so strong, I thought I'd cover a few more things that you may not have realized were once called something else. Ready? September 17th, 1920, a new football team is started 180 miles downstate from Chicago, established by the A.E. Staley Food Starch Company, What started as a company team quickly became something more when George Hallis was hired to run the team. The Decatur Staley's became a charter member of the newly formed American Professional Football Association, later renamed the National Football League. Under George Hallis' guidance, the team moved to Chicago in 1921, where their name was changed to the Chicago Staley's. It wasn't until 1922 that the name was changed again, this time to the Chicago Bears. As of this recording, there has recently been a lot of talk from football fans who are up in arms about the idea of the Chicago Bears moving to a larger stadium, one that the team would own and over which they would have more control. A few things to consider. The Bears played at Wrigley Field, home of the Chicago Cubs baseball team, for 50 years before outgrowing it and moving to Soldier Field. I'm sure for many, this move made seeing games less convenient, but there was a reason for that change. In the early 1970s, the NFL set a minimum seating capacity for games at 50,000. Leading up to this, the Bears were able to increase their seating capacity at Wrigley Field from 36,667 to nearly 47,000 by using temporary bleachers, but this was still not enough to meet the NFL's new minimum. So it was time to move to a larger venue. And that venue was Deich Stadium. Where? What? Who? On February 23rd, 1971, the Bears signed a five-year lease for use of Deich Stadium at Northwestern University in Evanston, just north of Chicago, which had a capacity of... 55,000. The Bears had actually played their opening home game of the 1970 season against the Philadelphia Eagles at Dice Stadium as an experiment in September of that year. Although it was looking good with the Big Ten having lifted its policy against professionals using campus facilities, the residential neighbors in the area voted the plan down. In case any of you are thinking, man, I bet that would have brought some nice cash for the school. Well, yes, they were poised to receive $100,000 a year plus $11,000 per game in admission receipts with the five-year lease expected to generate $2.2 million for Northwestern University, roughly $15 million in today's money. If you've never heard of Deich Stadium, it was named for a former Evanston mayor, someone who helped get the stadium built all the way back in 1926. 
When the stadium was renamed Ryan Field in 1997 to honor the family of Aon Corporation founder Patrick G. Ryan, it caused some controversy. Sure, Ryan was then the chairman of Northwestern's Board of Trustees, and his family had made some generous contributions to the school, but there was a 1926 resolution in place at the university forbidding any such name change. Shockingly, the university went ahead and sidestepped the resolution and changed the name anyway without notifying the Deich family. Northwestern claimed they looked but didn't find any descendants, although all they needed to do was check the local phone book to find any number of them. Back in 1971, when asked if the Chicago Bears would change their name if they moved to Evanston, then-President George Hallis, son of George S. Hallis, said, quote, No chance. We're known worldwide as the Chicago Bears and will remain the Chicago Bears. After all, this is only a stopgap thing, end quote. Hallis' stopgap comment referred to the Bears' hopes of building a stadium of their own. They ended up at Soldier Field, where they continue to play today, possibly because a larger spot in suburban Arlington Heights was not available then. While we were on the subject of sports, the Chicago White Sox got themselves into a bit of trouble in May of 2021 when it became known that Loretta's Lounge, named for Loretta Maselli, who had worked at Sox Park for over 60 years, was quietly renamed LaRusa's Lounge during the 2020 season when fans were not allowed in the park due to COVID. A Sox spokesperson explained that a pizza stand named after LaRusa was rebranded and the Sox wanted to retain the LaRusa name in the ballpark. Of course, the Sox claimed the renaming had nothing to do with LaRusa being named manager. Now, in case you think this is a hyper-local story that no one outside of Chicago cared about, here are a few cities with papers that carried this story. Detroit. Carlisle, Pennsylvania, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, Phoenix, Ithaca, New York, Montgomery, Alabama, Palm Springs, California, Nashville, Tennessee, Cocoa, Florida, the list goes on. Fans on social media went bonkers, echoing the outrage felt by the Maselli family, and much like in the case of the Deich family and Northwestern, no one in Loretta's family was notified of the change. Lou Soto, one of Loretta's great-grandsons, was quoted as saying, For them to not even notify us, you know, it's a shame. The Sox were quick to point out that a plaque honoring Loretta Maselli, who died in 2014, remains in the space to honor her and offer to make a replica of the sign that once hung over the spot for the family. I have a picture I took during a recent walk of a cement pillar with one street name on one side and a different street name on the green street sign on the nearby post. The old-timey cement pillar shows Aubert and the street sign shows Hutchinson. Hmm. If you didn't listen to the previous episode about renaming of Chicago, go do so right now. I can wait.
All right, here's what you need to know. Chicago's famous grid system was a mess in the early 1900s, so it was decided that various roadways would be renamed so that streets wouldn't suddenly switch names without drivers having made any turns, and houses were renumbered to make them easier to find. Three, four, and often more streets along a route had their names completely changed to be more uniform. That is the case with East-West Streets at roughly 4232 North. Albert Avenue in the Lincoln Square neighborhood was one of those streets. It was likely named for Jean-Louis Aubert, 1731 to 1814, a French writer. Another street along that route, Kennesaw Terrace, was named by Charles Scales, a Civil War veteran who owned that parcel of land in what is now the Buena Park neighborhood. To encourage development in that area, Scales had a road built through his land and named it Kennesaw, with one N, after the Battle of Kennesaw, Two Ends Mountain, a Civil War event in Georgia in which he participated, one that resulted in 4,000 casualties. And because of how I'm wired, I wondered why Scales spelled Kennesaw with just one N. So I reached out to fellow history nerd Jason Baker, author of the soon-to-be-released Chicago to Appomattox, the 39th Illinois Infantry in the Civil War, to ask him. Baker explained that he has seen a lot of that during his research, and that often those involved heard the name of a place but never found out how it was spelled. He also said many involved in that particular battle had never even been to Georgia. I gotta say, it's good to have a guy who knows the Civil War stuff. I'll have a link to Jason's book in the show's notes. The origin of the name Hutchinson is a little easier to answer. Charles Hutchinson was the founding president of the Art Institute of Chicago, a founding trustee of the University of Chicago, and chairman of the Fine Arts Committee for the World's Columbian Exposition of 1893. Still not impressed with old Hutch? Well, he also founded the Corn Exchange Bank, which also went through a few name changes over the years and is now known as J.P. Morgan Chase. Hutchinson also absorbed Asbury Terrace from 650 to 800 West, Melville Place from 1410 to 1499 West, Van Buren Street from 4650 to 5200 West, and... 49th place from 5200 to 5600 west and in case you want a bigger road as an example of renaming well let's see interstate 55 or i-55 as many residents know it runs from u.s route 41 aka jean baptiste point du sable lakeshore drive in chicago all the way to st louis missouri and continues on through arkansas tennessee mississippi ending in Laplace, Louisiana. The stretch of I-55 from Lakeshore Drive to I-80 is named for former Illinois Governor Adlai E. Stevenson II. Another portion of I-55 within Illinois is named for former President Barack Obama. Vince DiMuzio Expressway between Springfield and St. Louis is named for former Illinois State Senator Vince DiMuzio. And near the I-270, I-70 split, it is referred to as the Paul Simon Freeway, not as many often mistakenly think for the former U.S. Senator who began his career in that region. It is actually for the shorter member of the singing duo of Simon and Garfunkel. I'm kidding, it's for the politician with the bow ties. 
Although a small airfield existed at 63rd and Cicero in the early 1920s called the Chicago Air Park, it wasn't until May 8, 1926 that the municipal airfield would open with a focus on delivery of mail. By December of 1949, the Chicago Airport, it was reportedly referred to as that as people didn't like the word municipal and often had difficulty pronouncing it, was the busiest airfield in the United States. An ordinance was submitted by 45th Ward Alderman Theron Merriman, cool name, to rename the airport Chicago Midway Airport to commemorate the Pacific Air and Naval victory at Midway Island during World War II. Alderman Merriman, himself a veteran of World War I, was at the time chairman of the Council Aviation Committee, The city council voted to change the name without opposition. Beginning during World War II, a 2 million square feet plant responsible for manufacturing Douglas C-54 Skymaster transport planes operated on land west of Chicago that was once part of a German-American farming community called Orchard Place. The airfield from which completed planes were flown out was simply called Douglas Airport. After the war ended and Douglas moved their operations west, the airfield adopted the name Orchard Field Airport and was assigned to the airport code ORD. On September 18, 1949, the airport was formally dedicated as O'Hare Field, honoring Edward Butch O'Hare, the U.S. Navy's first flying ace and Medal of Honor recipient six years after O'Hare was shot down during World War II. O'Hare Airport kept the original airport code of ORD, which is why if you fly out of that airport, you will still see those letters on documentation. Daniel H. Burnham, Chicago's famous architect and city planner, envisioned Northerly Island as one of the northernmost points in a series of man-made islands extending between Grant Park and Jackson Park. Burnham's vision for this park included beaches, harbors, lagoons, recreational areas, a scenic drive, and grand stretches of green space that would provide ideal views of the lake and city skyline for all residents. By the early 1930s, Northerly Island had been increased to its present size and was selected as a site of Chicago's second World's Fair called A Century of Progress, 1933-34. A small airfield was eventually built on the man-made island, officially opening in December of 1948. Informally known as Northerly Island Airport, it featured a 2,800-foot strip for use by planes. A year and a half later, the airport was renamed Merrill C. Miggs Field on June 30, 1950. 6,000 people were on hand on the island as 66-year-old Megs, described as an outstanding Chicago businessman, he was the publisher of the Chicago Herald and Examiner newspaper, a civic leader and pilot of his own aircraft, accepted the honor. In front of the crowd, Megs read from notes in an emotion-filled voice, quote, When my name was brought up last year before the city council, there were objections that no airport should be named for a living person. He said, I was honored at the original suggestion, but felt that the sacrifice involved in order to qualify was too great a price, even for that glory, end quote. If you're keeping track, all three nearby airports were renamed within a roughly 21-month period. 
Megs apparently had the support of local papers and the other Chicago muckety-mucks, so his name was in place for over 50 years, until in 2003, after many years of wrangling, the airport was shut down, not without controversy too convoluted to go into right now, and the land was converted back into a space more in line with what Daniel Burnham likely had envisioned, with a 40-acre park on the southern part of the island, with a trail for walking and bike riding. There is also a nature preserve, a five-acre lagoon, and an outdoor concert venue. Burnham may not have planned for the concert venue, but it still seems a little more inclusive than an airport utilized mainly by entitled white guys. What? Sorry, moving on. Chicago State University, currently at 9501 South King Drive, has had a few name changes since it was founded in 1867. Originally called Cook County Normal School, it was renamed Chicago Normal School in 1896. In 1910, it was renamed Chicago Teachers College, and three years later became Chicago Normal College. In 1938, the name Chicago Teachers College was put into use. In 1965, control of the college transferred from the Chicago Board of Education to the state of Illinois, and, you guessed it, another name change occurred, this time to Illinois Teachers College Chicago South. Ooh, rolls right off the tongue. Two years later, in July of 1967, Governor Otto Kerner signed legislation to rename the school once again to Chicago State College. In 1971, it became Chicago State University. If you lost count, that is eight name changes for that school. Oof. In 1946, 89 of 100 questioned in a Chicago Tribune poll stated their belief that, quote, Lakefront Express Highway should bear the same name from southern city limit to northern, end quote. 57 of those 100 believed that the name should be Lakeshore Drive. Here are all the names that one road carried as of 1946. From Ohio Street North to Foster Avenue, it was called Lakeshore Drive. Easy enough, right? At the river, it was Outer Drive Bridge. From Wacker Drive to 13th Street, Field Drive. Well, sure, because that's close to the Field Museum. From 13th Street to 24th Street, it was Leif Erikson Drive on the east side and Columbus Drive for the guy thought to have discovered America on the west. Heading south from 24th Street to Jackson Park, both lanes were called Leif Erikson Drive for the Norse explorer who actually discovered North America. Adding to the confusion, portions of Lakeshore Drive weren't all that close to the lakeshore, leading some to wonder why they would be called Lakeshore Drive at all. So you see, adding Jean-Baptiste Point du Sable to Lakeshore Drive is still a lot less confusing than it used to be just 75 years ago. Not to mention it honors Chicago's first settler. Chicagoans love to rename stuff. It's just how things work.
To hear more stories about the renaming of Chicago, oh, there's still a lot more. Check out the Chicago History Podcast social media pages. That's uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, JDate. You'll, you'll find it. And leave a comment letting me know if you'd like to hear more about this topic in a future episode. Of course, if you have an idea for a future episode, I'd love to hear more about it. Just send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. I'll have plenty of pictures and items related to the events discussed in this episode on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages throughout the coming week, as well as links to books and such if you'd like to learn more. Anything purchased through those links, not just the items listed, may earn this podcast a small commission and help offset production costs. The original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on those social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Thanks, Johnny! He can be found at AngelEyesArtJKS on Instagram or via email at AngelEyesArtJKS at gmail.com. If you have time, please rate and review the podcast and tell a friend about it. It really does make a difference. I will be back soon with another chapter in Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in, whatever it's called, and stay safe. <laughs>